one of the first special words, you may not remember this, but one of the first special words that your parents heard from your mouth um, as you were a child, as you were a baby and learning how to speak was a very particular M word. They did just cherish the moment that you first said it. And I know you all know what that word is. It's the word mine. You may not know it, but that, oh, they loved hearing that because as a child, when you started to learn the word and say the word mine, like that's the best experience ever. When kids start to figure out ownership and, and not wanting to share their stuff, it's, it's just great. And if you've, whether you've had kids or not, you've probably seen kids fighting over stuff, wanting to have something that's theirs. As a kid, I don't remember, I had a sister growing up. I was really jealous of my, uh, my friend who didn't have any siblings. I was, he was an only child and I was thinking, man, this is a guy, he knows his stuff is his. I mean, he, is the, he gets to decide the fate of his stuff, and it was very obvious. Me and my sister, we still argue about stuff that was, who, like, whose was this, and who actually owned this when we were kids? That We had an original Nintendo, and I still remember the Christmas we got it, and there's no doubt in the world, no doubt in my mind that that was my Super Nintendo, and it still is, but she still thinks that it was for both of us and all that kind of stuff. So I don't really remember how our parents, you know, dealt with that for us. I'm sure all of us had adults in our life that tried to help us learn ownership and sharing just perfectly. But I know, depending on what age you are and and where you are and whether or not you're still living with your parents and all that kind of stuff, I know that there was some moment in your life where you're like, I cannot wait to have my own stuff, your own place. Can you remember the first time like you got to move out and you didn't have to live in your parents' house anymore? Amazing. My own car, didn't have to wait on mom and dad, taxi, you know, to take me to places. I get to go my own place, and that was amazing. You get your own stuff. It's an incredible feeling. And then we also discovered that having stuff that that is ours is not all that is cracked up to be. Because once you have, for example, your own car, my car, then you get your own insurance. And then you get your own gas. And then you get your own job to pay for your insurance and your own gas. And then you get to pay for your own oil change. And then you get to pay for the repairs on the car. And then you get, you know, so there's a moment that we come up to where we realize, oh, having everything that is mine isn't necessarily all that is cracked up to be. I get my house and my HVAC system just went out. You know, that didn't really just happen, but mine's on its last leg, so I'm sure it's going to happen soon. There are those moments when we realize, oh, this isn't all that is cracked up to be, especially when we don't want to admit stuff that is ours. You know, like, who caused this car wreck? (laughs) My fault. Like, we don't want to say that. Or who who caused this mess and broke grandma's vase? Uh, It was me. Like, we don't want to claim those types of things. And so when having is more thrilling for us in life than taking ownership, and when pursuits come from pressure rather than they come from needs, like, like, for example, people don't just on their own decide that it's a good idea to eat Tide Pods. I mean, that's not like that's other people influencing them for other reasons to make their own decision, right? When that happens, there's a moment in time that we all need to stop and ask the question do I own my stuff or does my stuff own me? Who's working for who? And so, over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be free from the burden, stress, and anxiety of all that is yours and all that is mine. And we're going to lay this all on a foundational truth from Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, that if nothing else you remember uh, this morning or over the next couple weeks, that you remember this truth as you pause and take a breath when the bill comes due, 
when the grocery store looms, when the loan continues to chip away, when the car payment is still not paid off, that you take that deep breath and you're reminded of this statement of faith in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. When we pause and we remember the foundational truth of ownership in this life, there is freedom when we reconcile what is ours, what's mine, and what's yours, when we reconcile our desires with the truth of ownership. And so built on this foundation that God sent Jesus to set us free. And many of us in this room have experienced that freedom in Christ. Maybe you've been a Christian for, for a while. We surrendered to him spiritually, and now we're walking with uh, you know, a new path of relationship with him. But it's not just spiritually that Jesus came to set us free. He came to set us free in life, in general, for all things. There's not this compartmentalization where, oh, it's only a spiritual thing, and so I've got my spiritual box taken care of with Jesus, but you know, I still got to handle my own financial stuff or my own physical stuff or my own material stuff. I'm going to deal with all that kind of stuff on my own. There's no compartmentalism with, with God. One of the things that we're recognizing as we're uh, getting ready to start up this week, our small groups here at Velocity, and I've got my my fit and 50 shirt on, and Chip is modeling his this morning as well, is that we're recognizing that God wants to be a part, and he is meant to affect every part of our lives, that he wants us to be fit for what he's called us to be in every area, because that is the result of living out our faith in him. It impacts every area in my life. When Jesus came, he revealed God's love for us, and that ultimate display of love was shown on the cross as he forgave us for our wrongdoing and reconciling us with God. But it wasn't just the spiritual stuff that he came to set us free from. It wasn't just the sin. He came to set us free from our worry, and from our burden, and from our hurt. He came to set every single part of us free, which means he also came to set us free from our stuff. Bill Hybels, uh, a pastor, once said this, far more Christ followers have had spiritual reconciliations with Jesus than financial reconciliations, which is interesting because Jesus talked about stuff and money and possessions more than he talked about any other thing because he knew that that would be one of the everyday daily struggles for us that would take our attention off from how God has called us to be and know and do in our life and to what we think we have to take care of and worry about and be concerned about. So how does this work? How do you become financially free? Well, one thing I just want to mention is that if you don't have any kind of theology of work or theology of stuff and possessions, that one of the things you might, maybe you were never taught by your parents or by somebody else in your life to, how to keep a budget or how to not spend beyond what you have, that one of the practical things that we do here at Velocity is that we offer a class that's called Financial Peace University. And so if you've never done that before, if you've never had any kind of teaching, like high school, they didn't teach you how to write checks or anything like that. That's something that you should consider uh, taking. John uh, leads that, and he's going to be talking about that a little bit more. We're going to be highlighting that a little bit more next week. Um, but that's something that you need to check out. So go to velocitychurch.info slash events, check out the events card, and sign up for Financial Peace University and, um, and, and be a part of that group to find out uh, when they're going to be meeting and all that kind of stuff. Just as we've been set free spiritually and we require belief and trust and hope in that for that to be the case, the same thing is true about us financially. And so here's the truth. Here's the first truth that we're going to be talking about this morning is that all that is mine, all that is yours, is from God. He's the one that owns it. James, the brother of Jesus, 
writes this in chapter 1, verse 17 through 18 of, of James. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. But here's the million-dollar question. Do you buy that? Do you believe it? Because if I'm honest, I can say that that belief does not always guide my decisions when it comes to my stuff or my finances. And I struggle with it, perhaps for the same reason that you do. Because if I think about the everyday course of my life and how I think about what I do and what I accomplish, sometimes that comes into the forefront more. I know you're going to be really proud of me, but this morning, I took a shower. I did. I took a shower. I, I made the decision myself. I even washed myself. You know, I, I put on these clothes by myself. I really, I, you know, Renee didn't have to help me at all. And, and I, I, I even bought these clothes. Well, not, you know, but I, I bought these clothes. I did. I did that myself. I fed myself with a cliff bar that I bought with my own money. I even drove here myself this morning in my car that I own and pay insurance on with gas that I bought with a job that I work at and put my time and talents and energies into so that I get paid for it so I can have my money to provide what I need. No one, and I mean no one's going to tell me what to do with it because it's my stuff. The government's sure not going to tell me what to do with my money. Don't tread on me, bro. So they bring out the gun and make me pay my taxes. The church isn't going to tell me what to do with my money. God's not going to tell me what to do with my money. My wife's not going to tell me what to do with my money. That one may not be true. If you think that way, you're right. I mean, like you set the alarm, you worked hard, you earned a wage for your time, talent, and energy invested. That is true. That is true. You've worked hard to be wherever you are right now, but it's not the whole truth. The truth about the stuff that you have is that we have this mutually agreed upon value of exchange for each other's time, talent, energy, and resources. Sometimes we call that money. Sometimes we trade things. Whatever that is, we are exchanging. We have a mutually agreed upon system of exchange that relies on each other's talent, time, abilities in order for that to work and to operate. You didn't do all of your stuff on your own. The car that you drive that you bought with your stuff, like you didn't just buy this inanimate object that just magically showed up and appeared. You're paying for somebody else's effort, time, talent, abilities, and, and marketing dollars for, so other people will pay the car, pay for, pay for their car and buy one as well. You stand on the shoulders of other people. The time that you give in the things that you choose to give it to in your life, that, that's great. You made that choice, but you didn't come up with time. That's a gift from God. You may have developed your talent through hard work and effort, but you didn't come up with your talent. That's a gift from God. And if we think about it, even though we may have developed our talent through hard work, discipline, years of struggle, we were only capable of developing our talent because of other talented people who received their gift from God as well. Now, listen, you can ignore everything I'm saying if you changed your own diaper as a baby growing up. 
But someone taught you how to read, somebody taught you how to add and subtract, drove you to school, taught you how to drive, sewed together the clothing you have on your back, someone roasted the beans for your coffee this morning. We have been given so much. Life itself is a gift. And it doesn't take away any ounce of the sweat, blood, and tears that you have put into to get to where you are today. It's your ambition and drive and discipline that has caused you to be as successful as you are or aren't, sure. But even that, success is a gift from God. And so the question is, like, do you believe that? And is that the foundational truth in which you place all of your stuff? Is that all that I have, all that is mine, is from God? Believing this that God has ownership of it and he's going to take care of it, will begin to free you from worry and anxiety and stress. And it's not going to remove it completely because we're all human and we all still hang on to stuff instead of letting it go. But believing this will begin to start to give you a different perspective on your finances and your theology of work and your theology of stuff. Believing this will help you to set on the path to financial reconciliation with God and removing even some of the sinful ways in which we think about and use and operate with our finances. Um, I, I want to read a passage of Scripture that um, if you grew up in church, you've been in church for a while, you're probably going to be familiar with because it comes from one of Jesus' most famous talks. Uh, we call it the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read it to you in a very different way um, than what we would typically do on a Sunday morning. I'm going to read it to you from a paraphrase. Um, so it's going to be Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. Um, the paraphrase is called the message, and, and here's what the message is for. It's to help take a translation and put it into more modern terms so that when we read it, it helps us to understand what Jesus' thrust and meaning is for us today. And so because I'm reading it, it's actually going to be up on the screen, so the words will be there. But if you don't have a copy in your Bible of the message, um, then, then maybe just listen to this with your eyes closed, a uh, familiar passage that maybe you've heard in a different way, and consider the perspective that Jesus is teaching here when it comes to our stuff and how God wants us to live out and view our stuff. All right, starting in verse 24, Jesus says, You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. And you might think, well, I don't worship money. That's, that's ridiculous. However, maybe there is a difference based on how Jesus quantify, qualifies what this looks like. He says, if you decide for God living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes, or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food that you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Remember the words of James when he says that you and I are first fruits of what God has created, so consider how he wants to take care of us even more so than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? 
What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Life without worry. Life with God provision. Life in which your human concerns and anxieties and needs will be taken care of, will be met. Where God will help you deal with the hard times when they show up. This is the result of the life of Jesus and what he models for us permeating into every area of our life, not just a compartmentalized section that we keep over here. There's our fitness, our finances, our everyday living. You and I can experience freedom from the burden and the stress of our stuff and what is all mine. There's nothing separated about our spiritual life or our financial life or anything else. We have just one life, one broken, incomplete, and often worry-filled life, and Jesus came to set us free from all of it. Jesus has done the work already. He invites us to believe. Believe and set ourselves on this foundational truth that all that is mine is from God, that the earth is the Lord and Lord's and everything in it, that everyone in the world is his. Next week, we're going to be challenged to embrace another belief um, as, as we continue to look at this series over the next two weeks. Uh, but this is the foundational truth that we have to base this belief on, that every good and perfect gift that we have comes from the loving hand of God. And embracing that truth will help us to see all of life a little bit differently than we currently do. It helps us to see that everything is a gift from him. And embracing this will lead us to be thankful for what God has already given us. And I just want to illustrate something for you because I think this is really important, even more so important than as a baby or as a child, one of our first words being mine and learning ownership and stuff like that is we also learn a particular posture when it comes to our stuff and mine. And I know you've seen this and it'll be familiar to you, and I'm going to act this out very carefully so you can recognize it. Because what you'll see as you begin to have conversations with others and as you talk about your stuff, you're going to see this type of thing happen. Uh, with other people. So, so here's what, ha- I'm going to take my Bible, all right, this is mine, and I'm going to show you how we interact with others when we're communicating something that is ours, okay? So be care- this is subtle, so make sure you don't miss this. All right, so this is mine. <laughs> right? Uh, do it. Do it. You've seen kids do that before. You've also been in conversations with adults, you know, cell phones sitting on the table. Who's is it? Oh, that's mine. You know, we, we make sure we get, and we have this subtle shoulder turn. Did you notice that as well? Because we're kind of closing ourselves off from the other person. We're being, you know, protective of our stuff, right? We worked hard for that. I bought that Bible. It's mine. I want to make sure nobody takes it, you know, because people steal Bibles all the time. But we have, this particular, we have this particular posture when we interact with other people where it's not just this internal thing that affects us. It also it affects our external relationships with God and with other people and how we interact with our stuff. 
that this posture that Jesus calls us into, that when we recognize that ownership, you know, this is, this is God's stuff. We have it for a momentary time. We didn't bring anything into the world. We're not going to take anything out of it. And if we recognize that, man, we're going to give this to God uh, to, to use and, and to have it for a time in our life, and it changes our posture to being much more open-handed rather than closed-fisted. It, it helps us to live our life based on more than trying to accumulate and more than trying to protect and more than trying to you know, be worried about what's ours and how much we have it and what we're going to do with it. But it changes our perspective into just simply one word that describes the life that we're called into and what Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 6, and that is living within gratitude for the fact that God allows us to use his resources for our needs and even for our wants. And even as we interact and help other people. Life is too short to live without this gratitude driving us when it comes to what is mine and what is yours. Uh, A couple of just real practical, pragmatic things that I want to invite you into over the coming weeks. One is Lent begins on Valentine's Day this, this year. And so um, there's a card in your program, it's this yellow card, and it's one of the things that you can take, um, or not, uh, or you can take this and put it on your fridge or in your mirror or something like that and remind you, this is an opportunity on the church liturgical calendar. There's nothing in the Bible about doing Lent or that you have to, and this is a requirement. This is an opportunity on the church liturgical calendar for you to focus your life and your heart and your mind on what Jesus was preparing himself to do when it comes to Easter and his death, burial, and resurrection. And so there's three considerations on here. One is that maybe there's something, maybe that's keeping you from gratitude or something that you know that is keeping you, that is yours, that is separating you from the way that God wants you to view your stuff. Maybe it's time to give that thing up. Whatever that object is, whatever that thing that you're holding on to, maybe it's time to give that up. Um, maybe uh, part of it is there's a, a Bible reading plan that's there, uh, number three, that there's a link at velocitychurch.info that you can check out and start that, that will help to guide your thoughts and perspectives during this time. Or maybe uh, number two uh, goes with number one, maybe that thing that you need to remove from your life, um, there's something that you need to re- replace with that. Maybe you know you've been missing some love or joy or peace or patience, whatever that might be. Maybe it's gratitude in your life, and you know that you need to set up something in your life to help you be reminded of what the truth is. For example, here's a challenge for you this coming week when it comes to living our life with gratitude and our perspective on our stuff. Consider thanking God for every moment and every good and every perfect gift that exists in your life. Historically, Christians are really good at praying before meals. It's just a thing for us. We, we do that, but maybe there are more things for us in our lives to say a grace for before we partake in them. Read, hear these words from G.K. Chesterton. He says, you say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, walking, boxing, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Maybe there are more moments in your life that you can be thankful to God for, maybe for a bed to sleep in. So before you roll out of bed in the morning, say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for hot water when I hop into the shower. Thank you, God, for farmers who roasted these coffee beans. 
before you put on your clothes, before you start your engine, before you walk in the door at work. Thank you, God, for the hands that made these clothes. Thank you, God, for a car that starts. Thank you, God, for a place to earn a living. Thank you, God, for everything. You are the giver of all good things. Thank you for life. Thank you for breath, for the sunshine, even the rain. And of course, thank you for the meal that we have before us. May we learn to live out this type of open-handed gratitude based on this foundational truth that all that I have, all that is mine, is actually God's, who owns all things and graciously gives us all that is good and is perfect. Let me pray for us as we consider that truth this morning. God, I just ask that you make um, this process evident to us as we try to guide our hearts and minds in the way that you would have us think about our stuff, our finances, our material possessions, um, how we take ownership of our own decision-making, the things that have uh, brought us to the place that we are in our life. Help us to acknowledge the truth in that and then recognize that you take ownership of those things, that you own those things and that we get to be stewards of those things in this moment. And help us to see the gratitude with which we can approach life if we consider and live our lives based on that truth. Help us to see freedom, not just spiritually in the hope that you give us there, but in all things, in all areas of life that we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.